Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app, our website, for ways to give. Well guys, we are starting this morning a, a series called Kingdom Family. I've been talking about this uh, for a few weeks now, right? You guys remember this, right? Uh, I've been talking about this for a few weeks, Kingdom Family, and so grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be starting with verse 31. Um, as you're turning there, I, I want to make a confession to you, and I want to be vulnerable right from the start, that I've actually, uh, I got corrected by Tom Sipling this week, and, and that is, and it's not a joke, it was a really good correction, it's, it's not, it's not uh, it, was, it was really good, but Tom is like, Nathan, whenever you're going and you're talking about going into Kingdom Family, and going into, you're sharing what, what we're preaching through, and that that then we're going into a series in the summer called Sex and Church. And you've been telling everybody that, uh, you know, you've been giving them permission to leave. All right? And, uh, and I recognize that as, as actually the opposite of what God wants to do. Because what God is actually wanting to do is he's not wanting our toes to be stepped on. And then because we disagree with one another, we decide to part ways. That's called, that's called divorce. That's how the world do, does it. That's not how it happens in the kingdom. What, what God wants to do is he wants our toes to be stepped on, he wants us to disagree, and then he wants our hearts to soften and despite our disagreement, surrender to how he does it in his kingdom, and listen to this, and then grow, all right? So I want to I declare today, I just want to say, hey, like I was wrong, I don't want to prophesy people leaving. Here's what I want to here's what I, what I speak, and here's what I really believe is on God's heart, that God is doing a thing in this hour. And God is doing a thing in this day and God is doing a thing in your heart where he's bringing you to a moment of decision where you can say, do I want to settle for the scraps of this world and do it like the world does and be broken for the rest of my days, short as they may be? Or do I want to surrender my heart and all my desires and all my future to the king of the kingdom? And do I, even though, do I want to live the kind of life where I'm not going to uh, base everything on, do I agree with my brothers and sisters, but do I actually want to enter what's called discipleship and grow and go after Jesus together with lots of different people? That is what God is bringing us to. And so here's what I believe. I believe people are going to get saved during this series from, from now until the end. I seriously believe this. I believe that people that, that, absolutely vehemently disagree with what I'm going to be saving, that God is actually going to save those people and we're going to become friends, not enemies. That's what I believe, all right? And so I believe that that's, that is what God wants to do. Do you guys know the Vistardises? You know them? Do you know that in the early days of Providence, uh, Chris and Noelia Vistardis lived on the other side of the wall of Providence. We shared a wall. They lived in an apartment. We were right downtown. We hated each other from a distance. They called the cops on us all the time. Did you know this? All right. Uh, I, I was secretly giving them the finger like in the spirit. Yeah, we, we just did not like each other. And do you know what happened? Is, is by the providence of God, they moved to our street and our sons got in the same preschool and we never even laid eye. We didn't even know who we were and we became friends. We didn't even know we were enemies. God, this is what God does in the kingdom. And now, now we're, best, we're best bros. We look exactly like me and Chris, right? And uh, we're, we're just best bros. And so uh, that is what God wants to do in the kingdom. What the enemy means for bad, he's, and I feel like he's already speaking it. He's already, the enemy is trying to prepare your heart to disagree and be offended. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to set up residence there. What we're going to do right now is pluck those seeds and we're going to say, hey, listen, Jesus, I am yours. Whatever you say is what I want. I tell you what, during this series, I'm going to be sharing some things, and I might be wrong. All right? 
I'm not, I'm like, I might be wrong on some of the things, but we're going to decide. We're going to walk this out together because Jesus is worth it. Can I get an amen? Anybody? All right. Good. You sure? I, I heard, I heard. Jason Driver, amen, but that's really all I heard. So yeah, so I, I know, okay, someone else did. All right, there we go. So, so that is the mistake that I've been making. I really believe, though, that I don't want to speak what the enemy wants to do. I want to speak what Jesus wants to do. And man, he, he wants us to grow. And there's too many people that need Jesus to speak otherwise. Amen? Man, your neighbors, your friends, your family, prodigals in your life. That was a great word this morning, Alan. Prodigals in your own home need this word. And so, man, we're going to team up together. So, um, so let me just Pray this right now. Can you just kind of put your, your hands out in receiving posture, just kind of saying, hey, God, we're in this together. Or maybe if you know the person next to you, just grab them by the shoulder or link arms with them or just do something to communicate that we're in this together. And so, Heavenly Father, uh, we're getting ready to open your word and we're stepping right in. It's going to be spicy and saucy and all kinds of things. And we just ask you, God, just to do some glorious things. What the enemy means for bad, we declare that you're going to work for the good and you're going to meet people's needs. And there's going to be breakthrough in these days as a result of encounters with you and your truth. And we just pray that love would fill the room, not shame, and that you would do great and awesome and mighty things in a generation, God. We just, we just cry out for this generation, God, that you would use us. You use us in this generation that you love and that you, want, that, you, that you are pursuing right now. And so we just give you this, this moment, and we pray that it is a step in your direction after your heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, uh, here's what I'm going to do with this series. Is it is going to be a practical series where we're going to talk about um, pr practical ways to be married, to be good friends, uh, to parent well, but before we get too practical, I think it's easy to say, hey, here's what you need to do. And that is easier preaching than laying foundational truths that are not quite as easy to establish, but they are so important. If you build on practical principles before you lay a good theological foundation, it's not going to be long till it's just not going to work and it's going to tip. And so what I want to do starting today, probably for the next weeks to come, is I want to uh, lay practical foundations. Uh, doctrines and theologies about family um, that, uh, that are in scripture and that are solid. And I want us to give us something solid to stand on. Uh, in a few weeks too, we're going to be doing a special series on the Father's heart, all right, for three weeks. And the Father's heart is so massively important uh, to all of this. If we're going to talk about family, do you know that Jesus taught us to call God, Yahweh, Father and the Holy Spirit cries, Abba, that street language for daddy. That's it's intimacy, all right? So we need to learn about the Father's heart. That's foundational. There's some other foundational principles that I want to talk about. But at first I want to say this, is that here's where we can all agree, is that most of us, many of us, maybe all of us, I think would say that we have desires in our heart where we want to experience good relationships, Right? I've, I've rarely talked to a person, maybe someone that's so broken, so bitter, and so angry, so used and abused that they just don't want any relationships at all. They just want to be on their own. And if you feel like that, if you're saying, hey, I doesn't sound bad, listen, invitation to healing, because that's not how you were wired, and that's not how you were made. God actually made us for relationships, and those desires for relationship are really good. And so we have these desires for good relationship. We have these desires to be accepted and to belong. We have these uh, desires to, to be known and to know other people, and that is all good. Actually, God wired those. They're not a result of the fall. The result of creation, that they're, they're kingdom desires, 
you see. So we have these desires for good marriages. We want to be good parents. We want to be good husbands. We want to be good wives. We want to be good dads. We want to be good moms. We want to be good brothers and sisters. And we want to have happy friendships that last a lifetime where we have these memories. All of this stuff, I'm just writing kingdom over all of those things because I believe that those are desires that have gone from God's heart into our hearts as image bearers. All right, and that those are really good, really, really good things. But we also have a similar problem, and the problem is sin has entered the world, screwed all of this stuff up, gotten, gotten the cart before the horse, and, and so we have this desire factory for a heart for relationships, but we really don't have a good, proper understanding or a foundation for how relationship works in God's kingdom because the kingdom of the world is shouting the opposite, making us feel the opposite and making us experience the opposite day in and day out, no matter where you turn. Now, I've performed tons of wedding ceremonies, hundreds, I think, by now. I've been in ministry for 25 years. I performed tons of wedding ceremonies. They're wonderful. You see a starstruck couple standing in front of everybody, and this is usually what's going through the couple's head, and I know because I've been one of those couples standing at the front, and Tom Sipling actually did me and Adrian's wedding, and uh, it was really great, but usually people are standing at the front, and they, they've heard about the divorce. They've heard about all kinds of hurt and pain, but they really believe that they are somehow going to be the exception to the rule, all right? I know that wouldn't have happened to anybody here, all right? But I think that you can, you can imagine, right? That many people, they feel my love is so deep, my love, my love is so intense for this person that surely none of this stuff will happen to me. I'm telling you, it will happen to you and you need to build a good foundation. The, the, the list is too long of the stories of people that started out great and it ended up horrible, all right? That's what happened in the church. That's what had, you look at all the wonderful denominations that started out on fire and now they're miserable, man, icy cold. And that has happened in marriages and that has happened in relationships. The enemy loves to get into relationships and take something that is full of potential and destroy it so it's so nasty that you just wanna run from it. All right, so we've got to pour a foundation here that is, listen, bigger than our feelings. Because many people, many people, let's go back to the, the wedding illustration. Many couples, they skip the old school ancient vows, right? And they write their own lovey-dovey freak festival vows, all right? And they usually have something like, when I see you, my heart feels like it's on fire. Oh, it's great. All right, well, what happens when it doesn't? Oh, I don't know. when I feel, it's like a herd of horses just surging through my body. Like, oh, wow, that's really great. When I look in your eyes, it's like I'm, I'm swimming in the ocean. Whoa, that's great. Man, it's like I turn into a zebra and I can't stop running. Like, wow, African, that's, that's wonderful. That's, that's really, really great. Let me tell you this though, vowels are not pronouncing how you feel in a moment. Vowels are, 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 Covenant promises that you're going to hold to despite where your feelings go. All right? So there is, there is no power in vows that, or let me say it this way, there's no power when feelings change or leave if what you were building your relationship on was feelings. All right? And so I, I want you to, I, I, you, we see this with, with couples and vows, and we see this in different things. You say, we're going to be best friends, you know, 
But I want to take us deeper into a better foundation than our feelings. Listen, and you guys know me. If you've been sitting under my preaching for any amount of time, you know I'm not knocking feelings. They're important, and God gave them to us, but they're not the foundation. They're just, listen, guys, your feelings are not the foundation for your your, your marriage, your relationships, your parenting, you can feel like a horrible parent, but your feelings don't get to tell you the truth. Like if, if you're still in the game and you're still going after your kids' hearts, listen, you're a good parent. Not everybody does that. Okay, so I wanna start with foundational marriage truths because as, as important as, as parenting is and as, port, as important as friendships are, marriage is one of the foundational relationships that the kingdom is built on, okay? So in, in the garden, God didn't first establish, you know, friendships. He first established a man and a woman in covenant marriage. And that is what gave birth, literally, to the entire human race. It came out of covenant marriage. So I want to start with, with covenant marriage. And I was going to start in Genesis, you know, because it's really great. And then I was going to start in the Gospels saying, hey, let's start with what Jesus says about marriage. But actually, I'm going to start with the, the wedding verse that I use for all of the all of the wedding ceremonies that, ceremonies that I do, it's Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 31. What it does is it takes the heartbeat of Jesus, it goes back to the, the ancient scriptures in Genesis, but it, it shows us, it shows us from this side of the cross what the intention of marriage was, all right? We have to, I want to start with New Testament kingdom marriage, then I want, want to work back. I, I don't want to first work there and then, then work forward. I hope that, that hopefully that'll make sense to you in a moment. And this is going to be spicy and it's going to be saucy. And I love, I love spices. And so anybody love sauce? Anybody? Okay, good. So here's a few foundational truths for marriage. I'm just going to go right at it. How I'm going to attack this is if the Bible says it, I'm going to say it. All right. And if we stumble into like, I know that probably in July, that's the sex and church series, but we can't talk about marriage without talking about sex. All right. So if the Bible says it, I'm going to go there now. But that series is still coming where we'll, we'll, we'll dig in um, deeper. All right. So foundational truths for marriage. Here's and I'm just going to read Ephesians chapter five, verse 31 it says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is big. Let, let, let me read that again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying <laughs> that it refers to Christ and the church. So here's the first thing that I want to say, a foundational truth in marriage, is, that, is this. Um, when you get married, you are starting a new family. Okay? When you get married, you're starting a new family. Here's where I get that. It says, the man shall leave his father and mother. Stop right there. The man shall leave his father and mother. And what's implied is, is, the, is the, the woman would leave her father and mother as well. 
And the two are coming together. And what they're doing is they're, they're stepping out of their parents' authority and they're forming a new thing, that new thing being a new family, where they are now the authority together, not the parents. Do you know what the parents are? They're coaches and they're great advice and hopefully they send a lot of cash into that marriage and hopefully they take care of you and they're praying for you and they're on their knees. Here's what they're not. They're not the authority anymore. Now, this is a really hard transition because parents are used to telling you what to do and I know and blah, 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 and blah. But they are not the authority anymore. They can't walk into your house and spank your kids. They can't, they can't walk into your house and ask to see your finances. They can't do it. Here's why. Because they do not have authority in your house officially as, as heads of your family. They have, they have uh, a weight that is relational and loving and they're coaches and they're advocates and they're championing and they want to make you feel good and blessed. But they are no longer your authority. Here's, here's your authority. It's the husband and the wife together under Jesus. So you're starting a new family. Now, the reason that this is very important to say, and the reason that it is inspired in the, the, in the scriptures is that, is that many times husbands and wives never come out from under their parents' authority and they get married, but they're still going back to mom and dad, usually via through very unhealthy relationships and, and pathways and channels, and they're undermining the authority that that they're supposed to carry together and they, they haven't broken that. So this is the, the key word here is a man and woman leave their house. There's some ceremonies where you actually jump over a broomstick, all right? It's not just silly tradition. It's, it's supposed to symbolize this side of the broom is my parents' authority. This side of the broom is now ours under God, all right? So in Jesus's day, though, um, I want to speak this, though, that this is not referring to proximity. This is not saying when you get married, you have to move to L.A. or you have to move away so you're not under. Sometimes you, you need to do that if it's that unhealthy, all right? But this is not a proximity thing. This is an authority thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's an emotional thing. It's not just a proximity shift. It's an authority shift, so in Jesus' day, married couples would often, the man would actually build a small house attached to his parents' house. So the proximity is there, but his parents are just there to send him cash and to make sure that he and his wife, listen to this, back in Jesus' day, when a husband and a wife got married, you know, the, the husband had to serve for a, a year in the military. Well, they had a Sabbath year just to be married and do nothing else but be married. All right? So, and he would build a, a house onto his parents' property. And so it's the proximity is there. And in a healthy situation, that can happen because parents need to know, hey, a new family has started. I'm no longer the authority. I'm the blesser. I'm the prayer warrior, but I am not the authority, all right? They have to figure this out on their own. They have, they have to do it. And we're gonna be here with them all the way, but we are not the authority anymore. They have to learn how to not come running to me and go together running to Jesus. All right? So many marriages have, have been undermined when parents grasp for an authority that they should no longer have. But in a perverse way, they're still kind of given because that leaving never happened. And, then, and when the new married couple allows that to happen, they don't walk in their authority. That is step number one. Hey, we haven't accurately started a new family like that, and we need to do that. Some of you right here, you've been married for seven years, 11 years, nine years, three years. 
you're still running home in your heart to mom and dad and you don't know what it is to just be under Jesus's covering. And you're wondering why your marriage doesn't work and you're wondering why, man, I can't seem to get this going. It's because you started a new family and you need, you need to be the, the new priests of your home. All right, and you've started a new family. This is, this, is, this is marriage basics. You start a new family. The man leaves his mom and dad. The woman leaves her mom and dad and they start something new. Okay, here's, here's the foundational principle number two is that marriage is a covenant union. It's a, marriage is a covenant union. Now, we don't talk a whole lot about covenant. I think that there's, there's even some, some confusion on what covenant is because let's be honest, if people decide to get married today, which statistically speaking is getting less and less and less and less and less because we're moving away from a biblical understanding of covenant and of marriage and what we're moving into is, uh, is an understanding of convenience, if we can save on taxes, it's convenient. If we can just be married, because that makes sense. If we, there's, we understand convenience, we don't understand covenant. Or, listen to this, we understand contracts, but we don't understand covenant, all right? The difference between a contract and a covenant is really simple. In a contract, both parties have to hold up their ends of the bargain. And if they don't, it is, a contract is stapled together. You just kind of pull it apart and you say, hey, annulled. You didn't hold up your end. This person did hold up their end. Hasta la mañana, right? Or adios, or however you say it. I say, we'll see you later. That is a contract. So if you're looking at your spouse and you're saying, hey, I'm expecting all of these things, and if he or she doesn't meet your expectations, and, then, and you feel the freedom to go, and you say stuff like this, God just wants me to be happy, all right? She's not, he's not, eh, all right? And listen, you have a contractual understanding of marriage and neither convenience nor contracts are ever found in the scriptures when it talks about relationships of this magnitude, you see. All right? So a covenant union is a binding together in such a way that oneness happens. If this was on paper, it's two pieces of paper with glue on each side smacked together and then it dries and you can't separate it. All right, the, the word for, yeah, let me show you where this, this happens in the scriptures. Verse 31, it says, it says this, let me just read. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Hold fast to his wife. This is actually can be interpreted multiple different uh, ways and it's found multiple different places in the scriptures. I'm gonna show you a few of those places, but I wanna deal with it here first. The word hold fast means to cleave, all right? But it's not just a cleaving, like how, how tight can you hold on for how long? It's actually two separate ingredients having a chemical reaction. So now they're no longer two separate ingredients. They become one new thing, you see. It's not contract stapled together. It is, it is two ingredients melded together in an inseparable union. That's really what it means. It's, it comes from the word for glue, or more accurately, it comes from the word for concrete. Have you ever mixed concrete and you start out with that, with that bag of like dust, right? And then, and it's a bag of dust, and then you add water and it becomes a new thing and you can never get the concrete to go back to the dust. It is, it is now it is a new thing. It is cleaved to, it, there's been a chemical cleaving to each one of the, the different attributes, and now it's one. 
This is why it's a binding together in such a way that oneness happens. It's, it's holding together. It's holding fast. It is cleaving. That is, that is covenant. It's when, it's when a new thing is formed, a new family, but, a, but two people have actually spiritually and physically and all the other ways become one. That is why if we continue to read... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the sex part, all right? That is talking about the sexual union, but it's, it's, a, it's the consummation of the spiritual union that happened, all right? And in the physical realm, it's, it's, a, it's a oneness happening. It's a spiritual union. It's, it's not only a relational union taking place. It's like God is taking the whole person and that whole, that whole person, let's say the woman, is not losing her own personal identity. And the man is not losing his own personal identity. It's just the two are becoming one new thing together with the hope, the kingdom hope, that the two together can be better in the kingdom than they could have been on their own. All right? That is the reality. So this covenant is a, it's a difficult concept. But I, I want you to hear this, guys, that... Uh, that not only are we starting a new family, but marriage is this covenant union where two people are melded together in such a way that is that on the heart level, it is now inseparable. Usually in the, in the scriptures, uh, when we talk about covenant, um, blood is involved. This is how serious this is. Like something has to die. <laughs> you know, blood has to be spilled. And we look at our own salvation, our, our salvation is not contractual, where we are always afraid that we're going to lose it if we underperform, but it is covenant. Jesus has paid with his blood for the, the ransom price for you and for me, and now we can enjoy being a part of his family, not always worried that we're going to lose what we didn't earn, you see, was purchased for us. You know, so, uh, man, we can talk more about that, but I want to keep moving on here for a second. Here's, here's the third foundational principle or truth for marriage that I want you to hear, and this is very, very important, especially in this day, and this is where I'll probably spend the, you know, the, the remaining time here. But the, here's this. I'm saying it this way, that the context for sex is covenant in the kingdom. All right? Listen, let me say it again. The context for sex, according to, according to the kingdom. Now, you can do it outside of this all you want, but you just need to know that you're deciding to opt for, uh, opt for a sex life outside of God's dream. Because the way that God designed sex, because he designed it, it's not like Adam and Eve stumbled on it and somehow throughout the generations, we've got some special toy that God never intended for there to be. And he's like, oh, why, man, I made a mistake. He didn't make a mistake. The sex was an invention from his heart. It's not bad, it's good. But it's, it's, it's good in the context of, of kingdom covenant. And outside of that, it, it, uh, it hurts. Now, I know that it's, it's hard, it's, it probably hurts to hear me say that, but these, this is one of these things. Hear the Father calling you into something better and, and instead of, instead of the, the, the damage that doing life on our own does. And if you're not feeling it now, you eventually will, all right? You, you run far enough down the road. It might be exciting now and say, I never go back to church because this is so great. I don't know why I'm using this voice today. It's just it's very strange. 
Listen, it will be great for a while. That is the lie of the enemy. You know the parable of the seed and the sower? Like sometimes things spring up and they say, hey, doing life without God is great until the sun comes out and it gets hard and you wither, you see. All right? So the context for sex in God's kingdom is covenant. Now it says the two shall become one flesh. That is the sexual union. So sex, listen to this. Sex is a holistic union. It is a, it is a spiritual union every bit as much as it is a physical one. Now this is what does not get translated or is not believed in a hookup culture where you're just wondering, you know, the, the next person you're dating's body count. But this is in, a, in, a, in the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom understanding of, of sex is, is covenant is the safe place for this union. And it, uh, it is not just a physical thing for, for pleasure. It is for pleasure, but it's not just. It is also an intimate thing for spiritual union as well as physical. The culture's watering down the, the power. It's interesting as, as, the, as the culture gets more sexual, it is, water, it, it is getting less powerful in this area. Because the, the, the power of the sexual union is the covenant part and the safety and the glory that that brings. So what happens when you, when you have sex, listen, and here's the spiritual part. What happens when you have sex is you become one with the person that you're having sex with. That's what the Bible says. Let me just say that again. When you have sex, you become one with the person that you're having sex with, and not just physically, but spiritually as well. And that's why, that's why, let me speak hope into this, because I think many of us have been in that place where that has been a part of your story. The, the ramifications of that don't need to stay your story. You can break these ties with those people, all right? The, the, the gospel of the kingdom is big enough. The Holy Spirit is big enough to break what you bound yourself to. All right, so we don't have to stay in this defeatist victim place. We can move on into a very hope-filled future. But I'm telling you, foundationally speaking, the power of sex is this oneness, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally in all the other ways, all right? The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says this. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church that is much, culturally, is much like the American uh, culture, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says, Do you not know that he who is joined... Now listen, look at this. That word joined means hold, holds fast. It is the exact same word. i got to take this off. I'm getting too... It's getting too crazy up here. Uh, but uh, this is... Uh, man, all this sex talk, I'm getting hot. Uh, but uh, the... Uh, um, do, do you not know... That, that he who is joined, that word joined is, is the word hold fast from Ephesians. That is the word hold fast from, you guys are distracted now, so I'm sorry. Uh, let, let, me, let me start over. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that he who is joined, that word joined, is the, is the same word that we just read in Ephesians. It's the same word that Paul quotes from Genesis. So when a man leaves his father and mother, and holds fast to his wife. It's the word for cleave. It's that union. Now, Paul is saying this using the same word. Do you not know that he who is joined or, or who holds fast to a prostitute, because th this, is, this is not just a prostitute thing. This is just the, the, the context. This is, this is what was going on in the church back then, because the, the temples in this day, and, and Paul's, they were actually set up where you had sex with prostitutes as a part of worship. 
So Paul is addressing this. Do you not know that he was joined or who holds fast to a prostitute becomes one body with her or him? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. He's just quoting the Old Testament scriptures. All right? So I'm just saying that the context for sex is covenant. It is a spiritual thing every, uh, every bit as much as it is a physical thing. And the safest place for sex is covenant. Listen to this. Covenant, not just love. Man, that is a heresy that I hear a whole lot that in the church we say, oh, yeah, let's, you got to love one another. But the, the context for the, the sexual union is not love. It's covenant. They're not the same. All right? So just because many times to say, well, yeah, we're, we're not married. We're, we're sleeping together and stuff, but we really love each other. And then, and then pastors are supposed to go, oh, you go, you go. Yes. Oh, oh, you love one another. Great. But pastors who really care say, oh, man, you're falling down a cliff. That will not end well. You're going to hit the ground. I want to call you back to the heart of Jesus because Jesus set up, listen, marry the girl. Get in covenant where God built this, that the, that the kingdom covenant, the safest place for sex is covenant, not just love. And so, listen, when feelings of love change, all right, you don't just find a new partner in the kingdom. Uh, when feelings of love change, covenant remains. Covenant remains. Hey, feelings are changing here, but you know what? You and I made this, this, this covenant before God. Like, we are one now. We're working this out. There's, there's no other way out of this. We are, we are on this road. Our, our, our face is fixed in the same direction. Specifically, I don't want to get a hold of myself, but our face is fixed on Jesus. Do you know in the Bible, when people faced impossible situations, like horrible marriages going in the wrong direction, do you know the Bible always speaks, is anything too hard for the Lord? He heals bodies. He heals marriages. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. And so many of us have not only bought the world's lie about sex, like all you need to do is love one another, but we've also bought the world's lie that God can't fix your marriage. There's some things that are just too heavy for God to lift. There's some situations that are just too far gone, far gone for God to find. And I, I want to I bring the glory back to the church again where we say there is no place that I can go that God can't find me. He is, it is, he is big enough even to fix the worst situation. So when feelings of love change, co uh, covenant remains, God's ultimate question when it comes to sex is not, do you two have chemistry? That is not the, that is not the ultimate concern. I think, I think it's great, and God wants that, the chemistry thing. It's, it's not bad, it's good, but it's not first. It's not first, and so many people say, what do you mean, I, I can't, I can't have sex with someone before I marry them. Like I'd never buy a car that I don't drive first, all right? This is just an expression I've heard a lot. You know, I, I bought plenty of cars that I never drove because I trust Greg Sonleitner, all right? Seriously, all right? It's when you trust, when you trust the one giving you the gift, you sign the papers, all right? But, but the, the ultimate question is not, do you have chemistry? The ultimate question is God is saying, will you walk in covenant even if you don't? That is the ultimate thing. The context for this covenant, not chemistry, it's covenant, not even love, it's covenant. 
We have to give it back in the church. Now, all of these things are building up to Jesus. The, the, the covenant you know, that, that where, where sex works in, the, you know, the starting of a new family, the, the marriage covenant union, all of these things are walking us in a direction for us to actually see what marriage is actually about. And here's what marriage is actually, actually and ultimately about is marriage, your marriage, your covenant union with your spouse is ultimately about Jesus. Now, this, my friends, is what seems to be long gone in our culture. We get married on a hunt for our soulmate. And when we think we've found our soulmate, we tie the knot. And then we get, we get confused when things aren't going. I thought I found my soulmate, but now I'm wondering or now I'm confused. The Bible says this mystery, this covenant union between a man and a woman and this whole thing, this mystery is profound. It's crazy. This is a profound covenant union. Do you know why? Because I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now let's get this straight. In God's heart, before humans walked the earth, he imagined and dreamed of a kingdom where men and women walk into covenant relationship to show the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us at its ultimate fulfillment. Now the blessing and the icing and all the good stuff is, is man, they have sex and it's fun and there's the children and there's all this stuff. But ultimately, marriage, covenant marriage is supposed to show people the kind of relationship that he wants to have with you. So it's no wonder that the prince and the power of the air is trying to undermine marriage and saying it's not even convenient. Who needs a piece of paper? Well, honestly, yeah, that's a good point. It's not a piece of paper. It's a blood covenant. You tear papers up. That's a, listen, when you hear people saying that and it makes sense to you, you need to remind yourself that that person only has a contractual understanding of relationship and not a covenant one. I'm still sweating. I might need to take off this shirt. You know, man, pray I don't. Just for your eyes, I'm telling you, pray I don't. All right? So let's get back to this. <laughs> oh, man. I've always wanted to see myself shirtless on the screen. Uh, but uh, maybe I'll do that on my own first, and then I'll, then I'll let you guys. So, but we don't want to broadcast that. Uh, so uh, anyway, man, Jesus, I, I, I was kind of feeling it, and now I'm not. All right. So I, I read this, I, the, one of the commentators that I, when I'm studying the scriptures, this one commentator says this, I'm going to quote, says marriage from the beginning of creation, Genesis chapter one, was created by God to be a reflection and a pattern after Christ's relation to the church. Man, I can't say this enough. All the stuff, it just builds and it builds and it builds. If you don't like your sex life, guess what? Your, your, your sex life is not the ultimate. That's not where you find your identity. That's not, you weren't born for sex. You were born for Jesus. All right? So marriage and your life, if your life is ultimately about Jesus, then how could your marriage ultimately not be about Jesus? And I think that we've lost in the church the idea that the kingdom of God is advancing and I need somebody that can, that can run with me in this direction where we can be twice as good together. It's about the kingdom. It's about Jesus. It's about souls. It's about freedom. It's about glory. And we get to do that together. That is the ultimate. We get to make Jesus famous in our generation together. So we don't, do you know that when marriage was first given to humanity, sin didn't exist in humanity? 
So we're talking about like two people that were already satisfied in just being gods. Not, not them being gods, but belonging to God. They're not gods walking the earth. There's one God, all right? Man, that could go viral, all right? So just belonging to God. They're already satisfied in the relationship that they have with God as human beings walking the earth. They're satisfied by God alone. And then they come into this covenant marriage not looking for the other person to satisfy them. God already has. So marriage ultimately being about Jesus is this. Is you've, you've, got to, you've got to not be perfect, but have your, your, the posture of your heart aimed at Jesus. And if you aim your heart at your potential spouse... Or in, let's take all relationships, your children or whatever. You're, you're actually trying to use people to make you feel like a man, make you feel like a woman, make you feel complete, make you feel whole, make you feel happy, make you feel satisfied. People weren't designed to be that big for your soul. You were designed to have that desire satisfied in one man named Jesus. And so we take, so when I say marriage is ultimately about Jesus, I'm saying that the bigness of it, the, the power of it, the energy behind it is we get to make much about Jesus together. And we get to have sex. And we get to go on vacations. And we get to have kids. And we will raise kids by God's grace that are going to want to change the world in Jesus' name. So it's not about you. It's, listen, marriage is not about you finding your soulmate. Marriage is about you finding someone that can run after your treasure. And a spouse cannot be your treasure. If your spouse is your treasure, that's called idolatry. You were made to treasure God. And then God together, when you both treasure him, and he's, he's your first, and you each other, you're, you're each other's second. You see? This, this is so out of place. We say, God, help me to make my wife first. Help my wife to make me first. God, help my husband to make me first. God's like, I want to help you both make me first. It's not about you finding your soulmate. It's not about you finding happiness. Jesus is your soulmate. Jesus is your happiness. It's not about getting, you, getting all your needs met. It's really good, and it's not good for you to be alone because you can't do it on your own, all right? But as far as your deepest, darkest needs, only God can, can fulfill that. A spouse cannot. So marriage, a covenant union, is bigger than you. I know I already said this, but I need to say it again, that marriage is not ultimately about you finding your treasure and then hoping that God blesses it as you raise your kids in a local church. But it's about you two already finding your treasure named Jesus and deciding to run together and covenant and bring up world changers in your wake, you see. The church can't do what you don't do at home. Right? So pursuing Jesus together is really what, what marriage is all about. I thought it was interesting that worship band sang, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. It was unplanned. It's more of like a prophetic word for this hour, for this moment, that many of us here this morning, we need to say, hey, I've built my relationships, especially my marriage, or maybe you're not married, and you've been pursuing someone, and that it, but from the wrong foundation. And here this morning, I think God just wants to sing over you. Surrender it all to me. Freely give it all to me. Will you just surrender it all to Jesus again this morning? Freely give. Freely give. All of your hopes, all your dreams, all your future. Will you let me be your soulmate? So I can, 
I can lead you in the direction not of, not of idolatry, but as not false expectations, but so I can lead you in the direction of this awesome wild. I believe that God picks out people. He matches people up. It's really good. And you listen to his voice and you surrender it all to him. And he matches people up and sparks fly and there's chemistry and all of that is great, but it's not great if the foundation is wrong. And here's the foundation. Your marriage is about Jesus. Your future marriage is about Jesus. And some of you have, you know, I, I, I'm a kid that, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a man, but as a kid, um, my parents got divorced and my dad was a pastor when that happened. And seeing how the church, like, just like the church, like the church kicks you when you're down and instead of coming in loving and, you know, uh, it's just like, get out of here, lepers, lepers, get out, leave the state, flee the area, get out. And then that, that divorce, like, just follows you all throughout your life. And, uh, and I'm just saying today that some of you are here and you're like, I can't believe I came to church today just to hear this. I already feel bad enough about my past. I just want to say, uh, say this. What, what's happened in the past is done and the blood of Jesus can, uh, can totally wipe it away. All right? What I'm saying today is today, hey, listen, let's not feel bad about the, the past. Let's repent of it if you haven't. And then let's, let's offer God our future. Jesus, be the center be, Jesus, be my treasure. I just, I want to stare at your face. I want to get lost in you before I give my heart to somebody else. God, just take all of my heart. Take all of my heart. That is what God's calling us to do today. And I'm just wondering if today is a day where you just want to do that. Maybe you're wondering, hey, I don't, know if, I don't know if I can stay married. I don't know if I married the right person. I don't know if this, I don't know that. Listen, if you're married, it's the right person. Okay, let me just put that to rest. The enemy would love to make you think something else. But if, if you're married, that person you married is the right person. All right? And God can do something great. And you need to surrender those weird desires and that weird stuff and those weird thoughts to, the cro- to Jesus at the cross today under the blood. And I, today is going to be the first day where I'm, gonna, I'm building on the foundation of Jesus. I'm doing things in his kingdom direction. So just wondering today if... If you're here and your, your marriage is broken, maybe you're in an, in an affair right now. Maybe, you know, you just don't know how long you can hang on. Maybe you can cut the tension in your home with a knife. Maybe you don't want to have anyone over to your home because you won't be able to perform for them because they will be able to see that it, this is not happy here. All right. So I'm just saying that God is big enough for that. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. And I'm calling us today to start building on the right foundation. Right foundations, right foundations. Right foundations over this church. Right foundations in our heart. All right. Some of us, we've, we've made our spouses the center of our universe. And they, listen, they can't do it. You're, men, if, if you haven't received sonship from God, your wife cannot make you feel like a man. And it is a wrong expectation to get angry at her. You don't make me feel like a man. Well, you don't feel like a man because, because you're still, you need healing. Something that happened to you when you were 11. You need the father to come and heal you and put you back together and bring you into sonship and manhood. It doesn't just happen. You, you, it, it's a process. Masculinity is bestowed. You, you need to get in a community group with other men. You need to drive as far as you need to drive to hang out with other men who can bestow masculinity on you, but your wife can't do it. And you keep putting it on her. And listen, it's a false expectation. It's a bad theology. And today you need to surrender. You need to say to the father, Father, will you initiate me into manhood? 
Will you do it? And wives, you're looking for your, your husband to, to, to be the steadfast love that your heart was fashioned for. And husbands are just not steadfast love. All that they're, they're still broken. Still, they still fail. They're not perfect yet. And the steadfast love you're looking for is from a different man named Jesus. And he's the only one that can, that can make you whole in your heart where you're not just lending yourself to other people to make you feel good. Tell you that you're beautiful. See, these are days where God wants to put our hearts back together. The foundation of our, of our hearts and living from that direction. So I'm just wondering this morning how many of us just need, need a touch from God in a really special way. I just feel like there's, this is an is a, uh, important moment, but it's like a, uh, a defining moment. So I just want to tell you that I'm, I'm not going to make you just flood the stage. We've already done that once. That was great. I loved it. But this is just, I feel like, a moment where the Holy Spirit just wants to come and find you in your seats. And if that's what you need today, would you just put your, your arms out just to let Holy Spirit right here, right into this mess of my heart. Show me your face. Show me your face. I'm just wondering if there's children here that you've seen with your own eyes, the damage that a marriage built on the wrong foundation can do. And God wants to, listen, if you're a child here, God wants to heal those places in your heart. He wants to heal those places. Just like, just say, God, would you show me your face? Would you put me back together from the inside out? Would you do what only you can do, what my spouse can't do, what my dreams can't do? I want your dreams, not mine. I lay all my dreams down at the foot of the cross and I ask you to begin to put me back together. Put me back together and I submit and surrender everything to you. All my past, listen, do not let the enemy tell you who you were. You just remind him who you are and you are new and you are accepted and you are adopted and you are the righteousness of Christ and God is making you more practically speaking now like his son. So Heavenly Father, I just pray you bless people with arms, stretched, with arms stretched out this morning. I just pray you touch people, satisfy hearts, be their soulmates, God. Show them that you are that good. Show them that you are the treasure that they've been searching for and wanting, oh God, and just in a, in a renewed kind of way, God, reinvigorate people's hearts and lives in you, God. I pray this, I thank you, I bless you. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.